planet it is your i guess you know we're gonna be weekly now it's quarantine there's no excuse sam we're going to be weekly maybe even more than weekly this is your podcast where we weigh tag and grade all of the hogs of our crumbling planet and never when we you know kind of wrote that sort of uh mission statement if you can call it that uh did did sam uh and i think that we would like this soon be in a situation where we are literally quarantined in our homes. We are, you are. So we're going to bring you an episode, uh, you know, full Corona madness. Uh, Sam is my co-host. I'm Dan Spaventa. Uh, Sam, how are you in Washington? I don't know. Washington is, I, I think that compared to New York, Washington has like not really gotten the memo on the coronavirus there are way more people out than you would expect like way more groups of people walking together but the one huge upside is that a lot of the places that are doing takeout food are also letting you get takeout drinks so it kind of reminds me of of new orleans in my glory days but other than that (laughs) honestly dc is uh like i'm working from home i think most people are working from home at this point but it, you would be surprised how unseriously some people are taking it. You seemed to indicate to me earlier in the week, though, that a lot of companies in your field didn't seem to be taking it seriously, weren't working from home. And I was wondering if you could speak to, because I definitely saw this, the escalating, like, the way, like, an office slowly decided through the week that, oh, my God, this is something we actually do have to take seriously. And it's not just something where we can put out three hand sanitizers by the entrance and this won't be, uh, you know, a disruption for the, the workplace. Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely I was the first person in, on my team to be like, I want to work from home as much as possible. And I will say like I so I work in immigration and the U.S. immigration system, like the vast majority of it is still done on paper. So it's not something that's that easy to do from home. But I basically got to the point where I was like, I sent out everything I had for a while and I was like, I, we need to I need to start working from home, not even because I personally am worried that I will get the disease. If I get the disease, it's not the end of the world. I'm young and healthy. I will probably survive it. But I do not want to be like a vector for it, you know, spreading it around. And it was the sort of thing where I realized that the firm was really not taking action. So I personally felt the need to take action and, uh, you know, get I don't know, get myself away from public from where I would be spreading it around and um so yeah I know and, and I definitely think I got a little bit of a reputation amongst my team of being like the kind of crazy one you know be overreacting or something like that but steadily I will say like now who's the crazy one <laughs> <laughs> exactly but um yeah they thought I was the joker but now everyone has had to go full joker as a result but uh, either way um I think that generally people are catching up to it and definitely people in the in the firm are starting to realize that like this is going to be uh, you know multiple months sort of thing and it's something we all need to get used to and I don't know I, I definitely think my firm has turned around and is like doing more to I guess prepare for it and, pre- and prepare for the eventuality of people having to work from home for an extended period of time but 
either way, it's it's. It, I, I was definitely surprised at how slow on the uptake a lot of these uh, a lot of people at my, my, at my job and just generally going around DC, how many people are still seemingly not taking it seriously. Would you kill a man for Charmin Ultra Soft? I, I honestly don't even remember what a grocery store selling toilet paper looks like anymore. I haven't, I've been to the grocery store a few times in the last few weeks and I haven't seen any in, for sale anywhere. It's ridiculous. I would say I've gone like five times in the last couple of weeks. They had toilet paper maybe once or twice. And I, I believe me, I stocked up. This is this is no uh, this is no laughing matter, um, and uh, you know, but in a reasonable rate, you know, you let let the elderly get toilet paper, because literally, like, if if I go outside, you know, I, I should stay away from people. But if someone who is older goes outside, that could be the end of their fucking life. Absolutely. No, my, I, I talked to my grandma recently and she was she told me she had gone to the grocery store. And I was like, don't do that. <laughs> like there's delivery services. Come on. Seriously. And like, I think one thing we all have to do is help our elderly relatives get that sort of, you know, if they can't use an app, just order their their groceries for them because they cannot be going out. I've heard in Florida, people are really not taking things seriously. You know, where a lot of those retirement, uh, you know, the villages, all those retirement communities are. Well, they got that, and they also have the the Zoomers, like who are in college and are on spring break in Miami and stuff, and complaining that they aren't allowed to go to bars or go to the beach and stuff like that. I'm like, well, there's a very good reason for it. Sorry, it uh, impacts your senior year, but once you graduate college, you will realize that there is a larger world outside of you know the quad or whatever. I was like disgusted to see so many people that I knew out in a bar on St. Patrick's Day, and I didn't even know about coronavirus. Oh, oh, for real? No, I, that I, was a that, that was a that was a. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but really, I mean, a lot of people seem to go out on St. Patrick's Day, which by itself is a fucking horrible uh, activity. Uh, when they were knowingly just killing old people. No, I I I live down the street from a number of uh, popular bars in D.C. and I can attest that on on the seventeenth when I was working from home and like glaring at them through the windows, I saw tons of people wearing their shit and going out and doing whatever because you know it's just so much better to celebrate the random Irish holiday that means something to you know what ten percent of the population of this country. It's so important that you go out and celebrate that in public with as many people as possible. If I can't put a shamrock on my face and throw up on the bar, then this year is already lost. Um, All right. Sam and I thought it would be important not to hear from, I don't know, pretty much two humanities major fucking idiots uh, about this. And we have a guest. We uh, have a guest on who will remain anonymous. She is an ICU nurse in the metropolitan center of Manhattan, and she is joining us right now. Hello, anonymous guest. Hi. Here I am on the front lines. <laughs> yeah, so Sam, where do you want to begin here? Because I have so many questions about what 
the people who actually have to go to work. It's funny. It's like when society just like crumbles, the only people who are really needed are the people who stock the shelves and bag groceries and healthcare, anyone in healthcare. Uh, the rest of us are just completely like dead weight. Yeah, it's true. I, I don't know if you guys saw there was like a meme going around of like people in scrubs and they were holding up in their masks and everything. They were holding up a sign that says, I go to work so you can stay home. And like, that's legit that I am doing that right now. And just knowing that people are spring breaking in Florida, infecting other people are out in bars. It's really like horrifying. Yeah, that's annoying to me, and I and I'm not a healthcare professional by any stretch of the imagination. Like, it, I I don't understand what those people, what's going through their heads, and it's maybe something we can discuss. But I guess uh, just to start us off, um, you've already said so. You you're an ICU nurse. Uh, like, what what are you seeing day to day that is you, you know giving you or what is what is the thing that you want to report to the podcast like first off to get us started? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess we've kind of already talked about the social distancing stuff and you kind of mentioned it Sam before when you were like, "Oh, I'll probably be fine and I don't want to be an alarmist." But anecdotally, there are younger, healthy people who are ending up in being hospitalized and even in the ICUs who do have a coronavirus or COVID, as we call it. So these aren't people who were like sickly before? Yes. So what you're saying is we may be victims of this as much as the boomers we look down upon. It's a, you shouldn't rule it out. If you want to be safe, you have to assume you could get that sick, uh, like in all seriousness, because we're absolutely seeing people that sick. And I mean, there's no research to back this up, but like my pet theory is it might have to do with smoking. So like this is a dumb smoking PSA, but like. Anything that's not good for your lungs is probably a little risky right now. So, like, I would recommend avoiding any kind of inhalation uh, of substances, whether they be tobacco or marijuana, et cetera, et cetera. Just right off the bat is PSA. Well, we need that PSA. Our audience of, of heavy smokers is not going to like that, but it's important to know for sure. <laughs> They're throwing their gloves on the baseball field right now. I mean, like, there's no research, but, like, I am just telling all of my friends who I know who smoke that, like, to be safe, it's just a better, you know? Because why are these young, healthy people ending up in the ICUs, ending up uh, on ventilators, uh, as in, like, the breathing machine with the tube down their throat? Um, you know, why? Could you describe for the layperson who's never been around these ventilators what is sure and this is like this kind of like maybe you know veering into a random area but what is the process of like ventilating someone up who has coronavirus like what so, what are you doing when you when you like what how are you how does that save their life right okay so what happens with someone just in general who's in respiratory distress is that you know we're monitoring their oxygen saturation we might be drawing arterial blood to see what you know, gases are their concentrations, whatever. It's all information we have on how well you're breathing. Also, if you're labored, if you're like coughing and puffing or wheezing, stuff like that. 
Um, as a person, those indicators get worse and worse and they're having more trouble breathing. We will add, we will incrementally, uh, support them. So we'll do things like put them on a nasal cannula, which is like you see in all like the hospital shows, that little thing that goes in your nose and it's like putting oxygen into, you know, extra oxygen. Then we have this device that's called a high flow nasal cannula, which is actually pushing the oxygen gives you a little bit of pressure, pushing the oxygen a little harder into your lungs so it gets deeper into your lungs and you, you get absorb it better and it gets to your circulation better. Um, there are other machines, but we're actually not using them uh, called BiPAP or CPAP. We're not using them in my hospital because there's a valve that actually, sp- like, uh, it's like a release valve kind of in the circuit that air is like is coming out of which they've found is actually just spraying the virus everywhere so the we're not using those machines so what kind of okay. quarantines yeah. are are these patients under like ah. are they are they like the bubble boy on Seinfeld <laughs> so that's a good question so there's basically two kinds of uh, two categories of precautions we're using so we're using what's called uh for every patient gets contact precaution and eye eye precaution so what that is is those gowns you see people wearing um they could be plastic they could be whatever um and the um the eye shields like the plastic or whatever that's going over goggles uh different places have different stuff that goes over their eyes so those two things are universal you always have that if you have a patient who you're suspecting covid um, the other thing, the difference is if someone is a right now, if someone is a rule out, we're only wearing surgical masks. And I want to talk about masks a lot in a little bit. Um, so we're only wearing surgical masks, which, um, are the kind of typical ones you see like of people like, um, I, they're like kind of open in the sides if you really look, um, they're they're more like flimsy i guess but anyway so that's a surgical mask and so that is worn for all patients who are rule out meaning they're being tested or there's a suspicion but we just don't know yet once someone is confirmed to be covid they have to be moved to a negative pressure room where the ventilation system in the room is when you open the door it's pulling all the air into the room so none of the virus gets out even though you're opening the door so and it's like the have- opposite of like an airlock kind or is of is it an airlock i'm trying to think well, is like, it like the star wars kind of like you know they open it and then they get shot outside there's like a the, de- the decompression no it's like so what it's doing is preventing the air from coming out of the room do you does that make sense Yes. Like, so you can leave the door wide open and technically the air is any of the virus, any of the air that's inside the room is staying there because of the way the ventilation system is built in the room. So then uh, the other thing is the what people might have been hearing about the N95 mask. Now, what this mask is, it's called a respirator. It's, you know, different from a ventilator. A ventilator is a machine. A respirator is a mask. So it's a respirator and it goes on your face. Healthcare professionals are what's called fit tested for them. Um, we wear certain sizes and you go through this whole like testing thing once a year where you put on this, like you wear the mask, you put on this helmet and they spray stuff into the helmet and you have to like run and bend and read a sentence to see to make sure you're not tasting whatever's in the air to confirm that that size is correct. 
Um, so these these are special masks that like filter out particles, and these are the masks that have actually been shown to prevent uh, transmission, prevent someone from getting COVID. Why are people hoarding these masks? Okay, so. I think there's a perception that obviously this is a respiratory disease and it's contagious. So people cough like, oh, that's contagious. I'm going to get it. So they see a lot of people around the world wearing masks and they think that's going to help. They see us wearing masks and they think that's going to help. But the difference between those two masks is really key. A surgical mask, a regular surgical mask that's not like fitted like that is only going to the so far the like it's been shown it will only prevent you from transmitting the disease. It is not shown to protect you from getting it. Okay. So those N95 masks that I've been talking about, those are actually believed to be, according to the World Health Organization, the masks that will protect you from it. If I may, uh, yes. if I may suggest a metaphor, it's like wearing sure. a cast for something before you break something. Um, I guess in a way. I mean, yes. Okay, sure. For the surgical masks. Um, yeah. So, I mean, people sitting on like a horde of surgical masks thinking it's going to protect you. It's not. Um, it's, uh, it's actually a courteous thing that you won't pass on the virus that you're going to get through your improper mask, um, to anyone else, but, um, it's not going to protect you. Sorry. Yeah. And I mean, uh, images of, mm-hmm. I guess, people in you know Tokyo or large cities in China, people frequently think that they're wearing the masks, you know, uh, in public in order to prevent catching something. But it's something that I think we as Americans don't really have a frame of reference for, because in the U.S., why would you do something other than to protect yourself? Whereas in in Asian countries where they have more of a collectivist mindset, they're actually doing it to protect other people, which is something that is kind of inconceivable to the average, like self-satisfied American, (laughs) honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So now you might ask, why are you seeing pictures of healthcare workers wearing the surgical masks if they're not going to protect them? Truth of the matter is, is that we are exposed at all times. Because like I said, we're only wearing surgical masks for rule out cases. I myself took care of a patient only wearing a surgical mask for a rule out and then found out a few days later that they were COVID positive. So I am wearing a mask at work to prevent myself from infecting my coworkers or uh, other patients. And that's that's at all times? At all times, yes. Can you describe the way that the different protocols have impacted the lives of doctors, nurses, and even the people who, you know, clean the floors, who work at hospitals. Like, I've read stories about a doctor who said, like, I can't see my 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 kids. I'm uh, My husband is a doctor and he moved into the garage. Yeah. Uh, wh- how do you think this is impacting healthcare workers of all levels? I mean, it's absolutely devastating. I, I like for me, I live alone. Like I don't leave my house. I have a friend who will bring me things from the store, but otherwise, or like I get delivery, but like I do not leave unless I'm going to work. Um, but that's it for me. Like, yeah, I can't see my parents or my family or my friends, like only virtually, but you know, I have my coworkers and I can see them at least, but you know, 
and that's you know that's hard in its own way but it's nothing compared to my coworkers who have kids there's one nurse who was telling me that you know she has two young daughters her husband is a longshoreman so he still has to go to work and there's a gap in their childcare where there's a couple of hours that you know it only happens a couple you know a week once a week twice a week and usually one of their um, you know mothers uh, one of the grandmas would come and watch the kids for those couple of hours you know obviously they don't want either of them coming anymore because you know my coworker is exposed at all times and you know her husband has to go out in the world too so the question becomes, well, who's going to watch the kids? The oldest one's like six or seven. So the, I, you know, I'm not sure what she's decided yet, but the question that they have to grapple with, like basically in the next couple of days is, do they send their kids to the grandparents and just don't see them for the next couple of months? You know, can you imagine that? I think what would be the most devastating about that is they don't know if it's going to be two months or far longer. Yes. The so the assumption now is maybe the summer because this might end up being a seasonal kind of thing where like the flu um it's it surges in the winter months and then uh because of the warmer weather the virus is unstable and is less infectious and then in the fall it will come back. So you know the hope is in the summer they could see their kids again. But it, like you know literally having to separate, you know, from your children and, you know, I have other coworkers even who are just like, uh, like, you know, do, can they live with their partner, um, or who don't have the option of grandparents to send the kids to. And, you know, they, they have like the, one of my coworkers, the husband works from home, so they don't have to worry about childcare, but it's like, what if, you know, she gets sick and her husband gets sick and her twin two-year-olds, like, you know, they have to take care of them. They can't go to the grandparents because they're too old. Like this, these are things that are happening to healthcare workers right now. They have to make these choices about seeing their family. I, I have a friend who's an occupational therapist and she sent me a picture of her visiting her father in a nursing home through the window, you know, yeah, she's telling hard. me that she's afraid she'll never see him again. It's like, this is absolutely happening. Huh. So when I know Sam, you, you were following pretty closely when the Wuhan uh, lock Chinese like lockdown was happening. And we saw how the officials there took it seriously enough where everyone was door to, wasn't it like everyone was door to door tested anyone who went outside before they went inside their home was te was te had a thermometer uh their temperature taken so do you have any questions about i don't know how woefully unprepared we were when we could see that the chinese clearly uh we're better at actually stopping this uh, for now. Yeah, and I mean, to for context, the China has managed to, I believe, sort of bend their curve as the as the saying goes. Uh, Italy just recently surpassed China in the time in terms of numerical deaths from the virus, despite the fact that China has something like twenty five times the population of Italy, and. I have I have a couple friends who are still who are in China and I've I 
talking to to one of my old roommates was actually what led me to to demand to work from home because he was shocked that we were still at the office that we were still kind of w- working as normal he was like we've been working from home for months like there's been you know mandatory testing people get like i think ct scans because it can detest, detect the buildup in their chest and stuff like that and trying to you know for all the people who hand ring about how authoritarian China can be, they, in this case, it is helpful that they were able to mobilize so quickly and build hospitals and do all that kind of stuff that, that is necessary to respond. And also, as I mentioned before, you know, East Asia does have people there have more of a collectivist mindset. There is more of a sense of collective duty rather than in the U.S. where you're seeing people who are like, hell no, I'm not going to stop eating out at restaurants. That's what I get to do as an American. But um, I, I think that the narrative that we, on, especially us you know, lefties, are running with is that the U.S. was so, unwof- so woefully unprepared because we don't have any kind of centralized healthcare system the way that, you know, even countries like Italy, which had an issue, do have problems with their response to the virus, they still at least had a you know socialized medicine and everything like that, and as a way to respond. We don't have anything like that in the U.S., and we have this kind of very decentralized medical system. And uh, I, I, I'm wondering how much uh, that matches up. How much our idea of why we're unprepared for it matches up with the reality that you are seeing kind of on the front lines in these ICUs? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the thing I did want to talk about testing. So the thing is, is that we do not have this widespread testing. And that's really important because I actually saw an interview. Oh, God, I can't remember who it was on MSNBC. And this is like one Maddow. And like, you know, he the guy was saying how he was a doctor of some sort. But anyway, he was saying how you you went to you went out in the world. You got your temperature taken. If you had a fever, you were sent to a fever clinic. And then from the fever clinic, you got your CT. If it was positive, you were tested. And then you were quarantined and you were quarantined away from your family like sent to a hotel until your test came back and if it was positive you hung out there if you weren't sick enough to go to the hospital and if it was negative you could go home and that's like a big a big thing it's that widespread testing because what's happening is that there are mild cases and there are cases of people being asymptomatic and you know, that's great. Like if you stay home, like go, you know, you stay home, you don't infect anyone else and then you get better and that's fine. But what happens to these people going out to bars and everything is that they're exposing so many other people and then those people go home and expose more people and etc. So what happens is that suddenly you have an influx all of a sudden of people who are getting seriously sick and then they go to the emergency room and then now the emergency room is completely overwhelmed. And from there, you get admitted and then you get admitted. And then soon we run out of ventilators, which we did run out of um, the other night. Um, And we run out of beds, simply beds. There's just nowhere for you to go. Um, So it's just the the testing is important for two reasons. One, because knowing who has it right away means we can quarantine those people right away and, you know, decrease the amount of spread. But two is that we can have a better understanding of the like epidemiology behind the disease of how quick it's spreading. Like, you know, I, I have with me the numbers for New York City um, as of last night at 530. 
Um, but the truth of the matter is, and, and honestly, it's stark if you look at it because the number of cases like rises exponentially throughout the month of March. But, you know, what the truth of the matter is, is that we got more tests. And so we were able to test more people. And, and really, that's why you if you ever if you look and you see these exponential rise in cases. But um, but anyway, I just want to say as of last night, uh, we had three thousand nine hundred and fifty four cases in New York City. It's all five boroughs. Um, and so far, we've had twenty six deaths. Um, and in Manhattan, uh, the most cases seem to be in Brooklyn with one thousand one hundred ninety five. Uh, oh, <laughs> yep. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Uh, 1,038 in Manhattan. You know, Queens is also over a thousand. Um, there was a large community of Hasidic yeah. Jews in Brooklyn who wouldn't cancel their weddings and the cops had to like break them up. Yes. Yeah. That's, you know, um, you know, the, a lot of those communities are anti-vaxxer communities. So, um, they're the type of people who wouldn't usually listen to public health. Ah, Uh, oh, you don't want me. (laughs) You don't want me to go into this. (laughs) Let's open up that, though, uh, while you're going through your numbers, though. What do you think this anti-science and, you know, maybe Uh, anti-vax, maybe the broader like Trumpian um, anti-science community? uh, How do you think they're responding to this? Because what happens when the Corona vaccine comes out and. You know, some middle class white lady doesn't want to doesn't want to take it. Yeah. And I'll also mention that in D.C., the the spread, the initial spread was due to exactly what you're describing, Dan. It was people at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, shaking hands with one another. Yeah. APAC. Right. And it was also this one this one priest in Georgetown who was at a church and gave it to shook hands that in one day with up to like 500 people or something like that. So yeah, again, these communities where even if they, you know, on the best of days, they're not taking this sort of stuff seriously. And that right, was uh, right. both CPAC, the conservative political action conference and yeah. APAC, the like um, yeah. Israel one. So two just like, gatherings of like absolute like ghouls the best we have to offer in this great city (laughs) good thing bernie refused to go yeah dc uh really knows how to put on a party Jeez. yeah so i mean the testing is super important i mean the problem is is that you know i'm sure some people are curious like how can they get a test the truth of the matter is is that unless you're so showing symptoms um And I'm not sure if this is still true, but it was as of like a week ago, but everything changes so quickly, but it's, you have to show symptoms and you, they, before it was, you had to be able to say where you were exposed. Like you could say, oh, I had dinner with someone who just came back from Japan. Um, I work at a place where, um, one of my coworkers just came from Italy, like that kind of thing. So unless you, or like I was at a wedding and someone was positive at the wedding, unless you could say that, then they wouldn't test you. There's two things about that. So one thing is that the justification that a doctor will give you, and it's a fair one, is that it doesn't affect management because there's no cure. Um, it's just it's just supportive treatment is in like, you know, dealing with the symptoms, not the actual virus, just getting you through the infection. 
Um, so, so if you have mild symptoms and you don't need to go to the hospital, like you're not short of breath, having trouble catching your breath, that kind of thing, or a really, really high fever, like above 102, 103, then, um, then they're not going to do anything for you anyway. You might as well just go home and self-quarantine. Now, the problem with that is that a lot of people and people I know in healthcare, they can't stop working unless they have a positive diagnosis or if they or if they do stop working, if they can stop working, they can't get paid. So that's and that's people out of healthcare is that it's a big thing is that a lot of these insurance companies um, or, or businesses or whatever, they won't pay, give paid sick leave unless you have a diagnosis of COVID. So by then it's already too late and it's probably yes. been spread around the workplace. Right, exactly. So then you have to make the choice. Do you go home and, uh, you know, lose two weeks of pay or do you go in and hope you don't spread it? Like, you know, so that's that's a big problem. Um, now, I actually have a yeah. question about mm-hmm. the tests what is your opinion and maybe the opinion of mm-hmm. doctors and nurses among you about celebrities like Idris Elba saying he had no symptoms but got the test and tested positive? So, you know, is yeah. uh, and like the uh, the new, the Brooklyn Nets basketball team mm-hmm. had uh, I think their entire team tested and the the Utah Jazz as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kevin Durant has been diagnosed with it now. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what. Because I saw an argument that uh, younger people didn't start taking the coronavirus seriously (laughs) and social distancing seriously until the basketball players started getting it. (laughs) But what do we think here? So, I mean, like, there's two ways to look at this. The one is that it's utterly disgusting that, you know, people, rich people can just buy the this test and it doesn't matter and like however they got it i assume they paid uh you know a fancy private practice doctor an exorbitant amount of money to send it to a lab and to get their test done just for for peace of mind which i don't even get um i'm i'm only i'm only getting tested if i am showing symptoms um and i'm a nurse so you know so uh, that is like disgusting on the other hand you if you want to look at it in like any silver lining is that well they know they have it and now they won't spread it to anyone else and it did contribute to closing the sports leagues true yes and if that hadn't happened uh and they already did it too late but if that hadn't happened you know way more perhaps would have gotten infected absolutely just large gatherings yeah and now we have the treat of all those like WWE or like professional wrestling clips where they're just like, you know, doing their usual dialogue and shouting, but it's to an, an, an empty <laughs> audience that doesn't react when it makes you realize how much you need the audience for events like this. Otherwise, it just looks like yeah. some kind of bizarre art house play or something like that. If you want to know what 316 Day is all about, give me a hell yeah. I said, if you want to know what 316 Day is all about, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah! What? What? I said, hell yeah! 
Right. Well, you know, it's the difference between going to the movies and watching something at home. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like if you want to see some real just existential horror. All right. Let's let's play a clip of Mayor Pete hosting Jimmy Kimmel to an empty audience. My name is Pete Buttigieg and I am running to be the next host of Jimmy Kimmel Live. Now, this is a strange night for us, not only because this is my first time hosting a talk show, because we're doing it without a regular studio audience. Due to public health concerns over the coronavirus, we have canceled the studio audience tonight. But a few kind Kimmel staffers and some friends, my husband Chaston, all here instead. We're gonna have a great time. Everyone is spread apart at the CDC recommended distance. Uh, this was not our plan. We just decided this a few hours ago. And it's disappointing because as you all know, I love to crowd surf. It's, it's kind of my thing. But the experts have told us the best way to prevent the spread of the virus is for us to physically stay apart. So that's what we're going to do. The only way we're going to get through this crisis is with unity. So let's do this together. Who's with me? Full disclosure, none of those people are here. But when you don't have a real audience, you have to fake one, just like Trump's inauguration. You know, a lot of folks are wondering how I ended up getting booked to host this show. And all I can say is that Iowa caucus app really screwed everything up. Actually, Jimmy asked me to fill in because right now he is off taping Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? which is a game show that Michael Bloomberg won 56,000 times in a row. You know, some people have been skeptical about me hosting a show like this. They're like, you're too inexperienced. You'll never be a good late night host. Well, a lot of people said I'd never get elected president and I showed them. <laughs> now, I spent most of the day teaching Guillermo how to pronounce my last name and I think we finally got it. You wanna give it a shot? Okay, all right. Mr. Pete Buracis. You know, that's better than most people do. We'll go with it. All right. You know, I'm also glad that uh, Jimmy asked me to host tonight because, frankly, I've got nothing else going on. As you know, I dropped out of the presidential race last week, which was unfortunate. But uh, what can I say? Some candidates know when it's time to get out of the race. And some candidates are Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks so it's much. Horrifying. And he, you know what? You know what? I, I would have. It would have been more horrifying if he had an audience of people just like, yeah, Pete, yeah. Oh, God. What a fucking loser. Get a job. Yeah, seriously. Um. All right. How about? Oh, how about this? What do you think of? You know, Biden and Bernie's response <laughs> to this. I think talking about Trump is boring. Like, mm -hmm. we all know Trump is a fucking idiot. Yeah, of act course. quick enough and is, like, backpedaling. Mm -hmm. And also, like, pro I won't say probably. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But he might have <laughs> the, the coronavirus. I mean, I don't know. He could very well have it. Is Hasn't he been shown to have been shaking hands with all these people who've tested Multiple. positive? Like, yeah, yeah like so Bolsonaro. Yeah, Bolsonaro's aide, yeah, yeah, yeah. aide who he shook hands with. And then Trump was like, no, I barely even right. saw that guy. And it's like, there are pictures of you standing like shoulder <laughs> to shoulder with the dude. Like, all right, right, right. But what do you think about the Bernie Biden response? 
Sure. I mean, there, you know, like what what has been Biden's response? No one's actually seen him in person for <laughs> so long. So I don't even know. As of recording, I believe it has been three full days with no Biden appearance. I think the last time we saw him was when he, quote unquote, <laughs> won a bunch of primaries on Tuesday that the <laughs> CDC expressly told people like not to show up to. Oh, it was an utter, utter crime that they did that. It is absolutely horrifying from my perspective as I, you know, anxiously await the uh, my hospital being completely full of just COVID patients. No, anyway, so Bernie. But Bernie, on the other hand, I am, you know, full disclosure, I am a campaign contributor. Um, you know, he's holding, he is holding these town halls. And I don't know if either of you noticed, but in the, one of the last emails that uh, we got from his campaign, there's a survey about like, you know, what's important to you. And at the end, you know, usually there's that space where it's like, uh, make a contribution to the campaign. Like, yes, I'll donate $2 and 70 cents. Yes, I'll donate $27. It's now it's make a contribution to uh, programs that are helping the economically disadvantaged in the face of this pandemic. It's like for Meals on Wheels. Um, uh, I'll I'll get the list of of the groups he's helping. But it's like that's he's not even asking for campaign donations. He's asking for donations for these these groups, you know. I loved his response the other day when someone was asked, like, are you thinking about ending your campaign? And he was like, I'm dealing with a fucking crisis over here. <laughs> What's your time frame? I can't stop with this. I'm dealing with a global crisis. You know, we're dealing with it. And you're asking me these questions, right? You're running for president. So well, right now I'm running. Right now I'm trying to do my best to make sure that yeah. we don't have an economic meltdown mm-hmm. and that people don't die. Is that enough for you? To keep me busy for today? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, wait. Those groups those groups are Meals on Wheels, No Kid Hungry, One Fair Wage Emergency Fund, the National Domestic Workers Alliance, and the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation COVID nineteen emergency relief fund. Like that's what he's asking for donations for. Yeah, and even the the texts I've gotten from the campaign have changed. Like the last text I got uh, or the second to last text that I got was asking me to make calls for the primaries that happened this past Tuesday. But before that, yeah. the one I got today is the one is one asking me to call like, you know, my senator and ask them to support uh, the coronavirus response bill and, you know, that he has introduced into the into the Senate. So he's definitely changed his his outreach from being about his own campaign to being about responding to the crisis, which I think it also goes to show that, you know, people who are as Bernie's chances at winning the nomination are starting to kind of dwindle. Unfortunately, it's, it's nice to show Mm -hmm. that the kind of organizing vehicles that he has been able to establish around his campaign can kind of be repurposed to other things that, you know, we need immediately. Yeah, isn't that what we wanted? Like, we were hoping for some kind of movement that we could use, even if he lost, that, you know, that we Not could try and affect us, right? some kind of... Yeah, exactly. Trying to affect some kind of change. I mean, like, 
that's literally the story of healthcare workers right now is like it's not about me because I'm going and risking being sick like it's not just obviously not just me like any healthcare worker is going and risking and and not just healthcare workers let me just say uh the people who bring the food to the patients the people who clean the rooms who stock our supplies um they're all putting themselves at risk like just being in the hospital and like you know you can't forget them in the conversation like of people who are still showing up to work you know. Are you hearing anything about hospitals being understaffed, whether in the <laughs> New York area or elsewhere? I mean, I, I think hospitals are just chronically understaffed. They never have been the uh, the staff that uh, we wish we had for really safe patient care. Um, I do know that. So, so in my hospital, slowly more and more units are being converted from their original purpose to COVID units. And, um, you know, ours was a specialized ICU, but as more uh, COVID ICU patients are appearing, we have been floated to other floors and, you know, um, to kind of make up for the staffing shortages, you know, the they offer overtime bonuses. And actually, so I'm also a, a grad student um, to get my nurse practitioner degree, which is a whole other issue. Um, I don't even want to talk about that, but (laughs) just because the school being canceled and everything. Um, but, uh, they sent an, uh, they sent an email out because obviously any grad student in nursing grad school is already an RN. They sent an email saying that if you can work, like work, please, like we're so like, you know, everything's so short. Yeah. Like go back to work, you know? So I was going to ask, I mean, you mentioned that they hospitals are kind of chronically understaffed. I mean, do you have any ideas about like what you would like to see done, I guess, on the macro level to address not just this outbreak, but also just the anyway, any general issues that you have? with the way healthcare is provided in this, in this, either in your specific, uh, you know, locality, sure. you know, New York city or just mm-hmm. on the, in the, in general in the United States, like how, cause there's, we hear lots of hand wringing about the U S healthcare system. Like, do you have mm-hmm. any ideas about what you would like to see yeah. done on the macro level to kind of address that? Sure. Well, something they talk about, you know, we, we talk about, they teach you in school, like, and we talk about a lot in healthcare is something called social determinants of health, which is, uh, this idea that your environment has an enormous impact on your health. There are some things you can't change, like your genetics and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe any, any condition you were born with, whatever, you can't change that. But, there are these environmental factors um, about how you grow up, about the air you breathe, about uh, like all of these things um, really affect how your health will be later in life. There's actually, oh God, I wish I had found it. There's a great documentary about it that basically says how there's a specific zip, you, you can tell mortality rates by zip code, that that is a trend. Um, and they talk about there's this one zip code in like, Le- I think Lexington, Kentucky, they do a lot of public health research there where there's this one zip code that you're like something exponentially more likely to die much younger than if you live in the next zip code over. Right. So 
it, it's everything is connected. And so all these things we, you know, you talk about from like a leftist perspective of like, you know, so so-called so socialist programs, it's all connected to your health. Do kids have enough food to eat as they're growing up? Like, do they have a safe home environment? Because there's studies that show that this kind of stress in childhood can affect, um, you know, like a high stress, increase you know, something called your cortisol levels. And that has like a detrimental effect in your body for cardiovascular health and just uh, other health going forward. This is what uh, author Tim Faust calls health justice. Yes, yes. He, I believe it. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think he's the one that uh, he's interviewed on the True Non podcast. Yes. Yes. Okay. That is, if anyone's interested, that is a great episode. It is free. Um, I absolutely recommend listening to it for this kind of thing. So, so what we don't focus on enough in America is preventative medicine. And this is actually not uh, related. This is less related to a pandemic, this pandemic situation. But, you know, it's, it's just good to know is that really, if you keep yourself healthy for, for your life, you have, you're going to have less problems down the road, obviously. Um, and people who don't have access to primary care, like to just go see a doctor once a year and get your blood drawn and your vitals taken, like it, it's just you're way more likely to get sicker and then you have to go to the hospital and then we, you have to spend all that money on you. And, uh, you know, it's something that people say, but it is you might have heard before, but it is 1000 percent true is that America spends the most money by a ridiculous margin on healthcare and has the worst outcomes in the developed world. That's uh, that's something we've heard from Bernie for years, and it's something that I yeah. feel like they teach it in nursing school. And like you know, we always get the how do you go? How are you going to pay for Medicare for all? He doesn't even <laughs> have a plan to pay for it. Doesn't it just want to make you tear your hair out as a as a yeah. healthcare professional because that line is just perpetuating this cycle of like right. people getting sick and when they don't have to be because they can't right. afford to see a doctor. Yes, exactly. It's we would just as a nation, I, you know, everyone's talked about that study that came out. I think it was from Yale um, where it, they said something like there are 68,000 people, uh, preventable deaths uh, if we had Medicare for all and it would save like, uh, I don't know, I don't remember how much money, but uh, it was a lot of money. And, you know, it's absolutely true because um, for just an example, like, um uh, someone who I might see uh, as a patient, um, they have incredibly high blood pressure and they end up with a bleed in their brain. And now they're uh, in the ICU on a ventilator on all these kinds of drips. They have uh, they need uh, surgery, brain surgery, and they have a prolonged hospital stay uh, and a prolonged ICU stay. And then they need rehab afterwards and et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical care, right? Well, if they had just seen their doctor regularly or been able to afford their blood pressure medications, it would have never happened. So so for anyone who's like, oh, we have to be fiscally responsible here, this literally is the fiscally responsible yeah, exactly. uh, system. Yes. Yeah, it's also interesting on the cost of, so, of healthcare or a single-payer system – Joe Biden and mm -hmm. a lot of the other Democrats who would go after Bernie, you know, the more centrist people like your Amy Klobuchar's or your Pete Buttigieg's or whatever, would frequently throughout this number, 30, it was like $32 trillion, I think, 
then they were like the single payer healthcare system that Bernie's proposing would cost $32 trillion and something like that. The they're quoting a study mm-hmm. that was put out by George Mason university, which is in the DC area. <laughs> and George Mason university is basically, mm-hmm. it might as well be like the Koch brothers university. It is funded by the Koch brothers and like their interests <laughs> to an ex- extreme extent. And it puts out all this kind of like ridiculously libertarian banded kind of, uh, policy prescriptions and that very study they mentioned that 32 trillion dollar number a lot but they don't mention the fact that the Mm -hmm. business as usual healthcare system they projected would cost the u.s 34 trillion so the difference is literally (laughs) two trillion dollars it's actually two trillion dollars cheaper to do single-payer health care at mm-hmm. least according to that study yeah. but you don't ever hear that when candidates like joe biden throw out that that big number as a way to scare people right. away from bernie's right. plan well yeah it's exactly you know that's exactly the thing it's that if you can go to the doctor and you they take your blood pressure and it's too high and they give you some medicine and they check up on you and your blood pressure stays controlled i mean high blood pressure leads to a million like health problems but um, you know, your blood pressure stays controlled, then uh, you don't end up with this prolonged months long hospital course if, if you don't die, because many people die of this. Um, you know, this, like I said, you know, you bleed in your brain, etc. Um, but it, the money like it to give people a couple of pills like and that pharmaceuticals is a whole other but to give some people some generic blood pressure medication and then to prevent like this catastrophe in the future is of course it's cost effective and even if it does my, my thinking has always been that even if it does cost money like i'm not sure that there's any developed country that has a socialized medicine program or some sort of single player system where it isn't a Mm -hmm. significant expenditure. I mean, it does cost a lot of money, but it's also worth it. Mm -hmm. I mean, both in the terms of what you're describing and that also as a societal good, it is much better to spend money on the healthcare of your citizens than, you know, in, in the U.S.'s case, than spending it on I guess starving Yemen or blowing up every other country <laughs> on the face of the earth. Like I think that it's a much better use of our money because it is at the end of the day taxpayer money that goes into this. I mean, it might as well be something that takes care of you, but I don't know. That's a that's a different story, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I think it's also important I want to on the air hear about some of the stories you had heard about Chinese Co-workers or even Chinese people in general being uh, pro- racially profiled and yeah. attacked. And even I, I think you'd said you'd heard a story of a nurse in scrubs getting punched. Yeah. So, so yeah. what so, the hell happened with, with any of that? Right. Um, that was that's pretty uh, hearsay, that story. But I, I don't know. My, one of my co-workers told me that uh, about the nurse getting punched. So but um, anyway, uh, yeah, well, you know how Trump, like, there is that photo that they showed him on his, like, teleprompter where he crossed out Corona and wrote Chinese oh. over it. And, you know, the Ugh. people are tweeting about the China virus and it's disgusting. Um, you know, New York City has a really big Chinese population. And so obviously that translates to, you know, a lot of Chinese healthcare workers. I work with my, a lot of my best friends on my unit are Chinese and they are they're scared they're afraid i mean like people people you know so and it just nurses and being out in your scrubs in general like some people are like thank you for what you're doing whatever there are some strange people who are thinking we are spreading the virus um which i don't know i don't know make of that what you will but like 
who are aggressive and like people it, it is a weird feeling to go out in your scrubs and people like shun away from you and you know i stop wearing my scrubs on the street just for infectious control reasons because it's like okay i'm exposed to these patients whatever like i i shouldn't you know don't wear it on the um, my clothes on the street you want and your clothes if they're exposed you just wash them soap and water it's totally fine um but you know so for infectious control reasons i wasn't wearing my scrubs out but like i don't you know i'm not going to now like hearing that people are acting like this. And you're only, we've only seen the first of the sort of like de- deranged reactions to this. Like people locked in their homes for, for weeks, potentially months. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's, there's gonna be some yeah. weird, uh, I weird really stuff. wanted, I really wanted to emphasize that, that this is just the beginning. It has barely begun. The projections right now for the peak are mid April. Um, but that I believe that's if we are effective at social dis- distancing. And from what I have seen, we have not been. Um, Spring so- break! Woo! <laughs> Uh, but even in New York City, like, you know, my I have people, I don't have an Instagram, but I have people telling me that, like, they see all these people on Instagram out at bars in the city. And, like, what? Uh, it's just that, like, if we're not effectively social distancing and preventing the spread, like, if you've seen, uh, like, you know, they talk about flattening the curve, like, well, it's not going to work. So, you know... It, it this is I'm, I just said that like the other night we ran out of ventilators breathing machines which in order to be on a ventilator you have to have either a breathing tube put down your throat and that can only last two weeks and then after two weeks they have to cut a hole in your throat called a tracheostomy where they put a tube in to connect to the ventilator to help you breathe so you know like so these machines that breathe for you, we ran out the other night. They're all being used. But that's what I mean by run out. They're obviously not single use. You reuse them. But everyone in the hospital was being used uh, except for the ones that are like kind of like stationary in the OR um, uh, operating room, um, which you can be disconnected, but they're like enormous. And it's like, you know, it's a dire situation when that's happening. So, uh, you know, and this, like I said, only the beginning, we, the, it changes every single day. I used to never check my work email outside of work. I, I check it twice a day now because it's, it's every single day. There's a new policy, something new is happening. Um, some new, uh, change, uh, the other day we, um, finally banned visitors, um, and you should expect that if uh, you have family, anyone in the hospital, um, expect that if they are an adult, you will not be able to visit them. And if you're in the hospital, you will not be able to have any visitors whatsoever if you are an adult. That I think the only exception they're making is for pediatrics and then uh, labor and delivery. Like if you're about to have a baby, you can have one person with you. Um, Do you expect yeah. the CDC guidelines to keep shifting or is this kind so, of... So this is my pet theory. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that uh, I have this is based in any research or anything like that. But I honestly think the CDC guidelines saying that now surgical masks are appropriate um, for caring for COVID nineteen patients is because we don't have enough N ninety fives, and that way it removes liability from the hospitals and you know yeah you know, that's so we can't do this so. Yeah. Speaking of liability, I actually really wanted to talk about this Washington Post article that just came out uh, tonight. 
Um, so it is uh, called change in U.S. law will make millions more masks available to doctors and nurses, White House says. So uh, sounds really nice. Uh, and like, great, we're de- desperate for ma- more masks. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm upset of any more masks that are going to show up in the hospital. However, the change in the law that they made was that um, the companies that produce N95s, because you do use N95s in construction, um, like industrial, so like all, you know, they're grinding or welding, like all those products that, uh, the products that get into the air, like you don't breathe it in, um, they are not FDA approved uh, for use in healthcare. Okay, so just as a little bit of background. Um, so the legislation that uh, Pence, you know, so triumphantly announced said that uh, manufacturers of these masks can now sell the industrial ones to the hospitals without fear of being sued. It's always to protect these scum sucking fucking capitalists. That's it. You know, like it says like, oh, all these masks are now available. It's like, OK, but they're like oh like i'll take what i can get at this point like it's that dire of a situation but you can't go act there out there and act like you're doing this great service and like really protecting healthcare workers when you're giving us masks that aren't approved for use and then you're not just giving it to us because the the language of this article like is that it's not that they couldn't give it to us before it's that they were afraid to give it to us because they were afraid of lawsuits but now they don't have to be scared of being sued so they can sell us things that don't work and they don't have to worry about being sued i i I just can't imagine we're going to get through this without some major major like criminal activity being done in the private sector of the you know whoever the fuck is like the people who are the most afraid of Bernie Sanders getting elected like in the healthcare industry mm-hmm. they are about to do some extremely mm-hmm. immoral and potentially yeah. like jail worthy Oh, yeah. Just like sin. We already saw that with all those senators who basically did insider trading, like dumping (laughs) stock uh, as they were also formulating the or, you know, working on the policies that are going to be put in place in order to mitigate this crisis. Mm -hmm. But I also including like Democrat Dianne Feinstein. Yeah, she's a big deal Democrat. And um, Mm -hmm. I also think it's funny that in this article, it quotes Mike Pence is is quoted and he's saying basically like. This is going to be so great for 3M and Honeywell, like the the companies that produce yeah, exactly. the masks. It's like, oh, okay, so this is just a, another massive handout to the private sector. It doesn't really address the fact that a big issue with our healthcare system is that it is completely dominated by the profit motive. It's basically just rewarding their profit motive and framing that as like some kind of public health victory. It just goes to show how, I guess, how exactly. broken our concept of public health in this country is. Right, that they can go out there and say, look, we helped. We got you more masks. Yeah, we're just giving these masks like, away. No, yeah. no, you're not. You're going to make a ton of money selling these. Exactly. Yeah, like, they're it, not it, giving them to us. They're now, we're now allowed to buy them. It's like when they give out corporate tax breaks and they're like, see, look, they're going to pass it on to the workers. Yeah, the trickle-down economics yeah. has not is the real disease here, and it has not left this country in, like, decades. But 
I think it's so funny also how uh, what yeah. Gilead, the company that is testing a vaccine for the virus, mm-hmm. didn't want to let China get a hold of the patent because China was like, we're going to give it away for free, you know, for the benefit of public mm-hmm. health. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. And they and they were like, well, that's not good for us. That's not good for our bottom line. China's like, but public health. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it's it's really crazy because we're yeah. so conditioned in this country to hear that, you know, China is this like big evil dictatorship or whatever. But here where they're trying to like, I mean, if you're if you're governing a country of one and a half billion people, then you need to do what's good for public health because what's good for public health is also good for you. There's like no way to get around that fact. If you're in any Chinese city where, you know, New York, if it was in China, would be like one of its like mid-tier size cities. I mean, they're some of the Mm -hmm. biggest cities in the world over there. They absolutely have a just immediate need to to stop the disease from spreading or do as best as they can. But it's something that just doesn't translate here. And I, I, I don't know. It's just it's crazy to see in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, already, you know, they're saying that there's some anti-malarial drugs that have been out since the 40s that, you know, might have some mitigating effect on it. And the company jacked the prices. Cool. I mean, this drug's been around since the 40s. It's the same thing as the insulin. What is your prediction for the next few months? Give me just... Give give me and Sam just the most realistic, not even like if things go well, like what do you, what do you think is going to happen in 2020? Are we going to have a presidential election? I really couldn't tell you. I don't know. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that it's already gotten so bad in less than a week that. I can't imagine what it'll look like in months. And Are we going to become Italy? I, from everything I've seen on the ground, it and the fact that people are not taking social distancing seriously, I think it's definitely a possibility. I don't want to be an alarmist, I, you know, but I will tell you, we are, we're almost overwhelmed like and it's been a week like we have to go for another month of it getting worse and worse and worse and i can't see i you know i want to be positive but i can't see a situation where this is not a catastrophe so you know i want to say if you're listening like just stay home if you're sitting on a pile of masks donate them to your local hospital you pro their healthcare workers are kind of ubiquitous so you can probably find someone who will take them and even like for urgent people in urgent care any healthcare setting like they need masks we all need masks um what else yeah it's really the only way that don't overwhelm the hospitals that I can also say. Um, and I also wanted to say that there is drive through testing available uh, in Ma- uh, not Manhattan, actually, but in New York and New Jersey. So um, maybe you guys want to post it on the show notes or something um, that you can go. Uh, you can call to make an appointment and they'll tell you whether you qualify for the testing um, and then you can drive there and they'll test you and everyone in the car. Is from what uh, anecdotally I've heard everyone in the car from the site in Staten Island. Um, I don't know if that's true throughout, but um, yeah, but you do have to call and they have to tell you if you can come or not. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So and and the question I had Mm -hmm. generally is like, 
how yeah. can we, you know, Dan and I are in the class of people with jobs that are honestly, you know, sorry, Dan, but our jobs are so mm-hmm. goofy that we can do them from home. We don't have to go outside. And <laughs> oh, do yeah. Anything. We don't. Yeah, I, I push paper for mm-hmm. a living. At the end of the day, it maybe benefits someone mm-hmm. at some point, but it's probably a corporation, mm-hmm. honestly. But how can we like mm-hmm. lay people kind of support health workers at this time? Um, well, if you know uh, anyone who's in healthcare, um, offer to, and you live nearby, offer to bring them things. I know that, you know, for some people, it's not feasible for, at least for me, um, I will not leave my apartment unless I'm going to work because I'm afraid of spreading it. Uh, I have a friend, like I, I mentioned before, I have a friend who lives nearby who brings me things. So, um, you know, um, that is huge. Like, ask ask if they need anything. Um be available for them to talk to if if you're close with a healthcare worker. This is like really, really hard. It's really difficult to see this and to be so overwhelmed. Um, it, it's an emotional, the emotional roller coaster is like unlike anything. And, you know, it's already hard to be a healthcare worker in an ICU or an ER. You're hardened anyway. But this is unlike anything we've ever seen in America. And, you know, sometimes sometimes they either want to talk to someone about it or they just want to talk about something else. <laughs> well, I hope that we provide... Oh, and donate your masks. <laughs> oh, yes. Donate your masks, assholes. Or gloves. Yeah, I'll turn over the uh, stockpile of toilet paper and masks and everything that I've been hoarding this whole time. I was... I really wanted to sell them all for like tens of thousands of dollars and then escape to the Cayman Islands or something. But I guess I'll, I'll turn my back on that yeah. plan. I'll do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone stop hounding me. God. Also stop hoarding toilet paper. That's like really <laughs> dumb. This virus doesn't make you poop. Like I, like I am honestly shocked that people aren't stockpiling tissues. There's no diarrhea with this. For real, if people want to donate the toilet paper, can they donate it to me? Because I'm like running yes. low and I honestly have not seen a fucking store that sells it in weeks. And like, oh, I don't want, I don't know. I don't want to like have to ration it or anything. It's not sanitary, but please. I mean, like invest in a bidet, I guess. I, I own a bidet, but I can't figure out how to set it up on my stupid toilet because it doesn't fit on the toilet seat. And like, I was even beating myself up for it for months about it. And now I'm like, it would be really good to fucking have. But now I have the worst of both worlds. So please donate your toilet paper to me. Or if you know how to set up the bidet that I bought on my toilet seat, please come to my house. I know the question was like, how can we support healthcare workers? But you know, maybe a question could be, how can you support Sam? And the answer is, please come Come yeah. to my house and give me toilet paper and set up my bidet for me, please. All right, if you're a plumber in the DC area, get in touch with Sam on Twitter at Wagstank and help him out. This is a trying time for all of us. I just wanted to say one thing that was a little positive before we go. Um, you know, what we are seeing, though, is that the canals in Venice are clearing. Uh, air pollution over China has cleared up and over Italy, too. So, you know... In a way, it has at least maybe demonstrably shown to some people that climate change is real, that humans are causing it, and that there actually is action we can take that it's not too late um, to try and reverse some of these horrible effects that, you know, humans have had on the earth. Yeah, and definitely to that that, uh, point, 
I mean, it's it's important to show that I, I think that this is kind of a been a microcosm, at least for me, of how the reaction to the more serious effects of climate change that we are definitely down the road from will play out, especially in our society, mm-hmm. if we don't make any changes to the way that governments and yes. things work. But it also goes to show that, I mean, I I I, I balk at saying that the problem is humanity because the problem is not humanity humans existed and plenty of human societies existed in harmony with nature for long periods of time until some you know capitalist nation stomped them out and took their land and started like overdeveloping (laughs) it and polluting it but i think it goes to show that people like dan and me who you know i've realized i probably don't need to show up to work all the time i can do most of my work from home and I live close to my office, but that's not the case for most of my coworkers. A lot of my coworkers are driving in from, you know, suburban Maryland or Virginia and like sitting in traffic for hours and all those like gases from their car, which has one person in it are going up into the atmosphere. And that's like what's causing this. And I think that hopefully this shows people that more of us should be working from home more often, even if it just for just that reason, decreasing the air pollution that results from everyone's daily commute. Cause it's just uh i think it's important to show that like we can actually there are steps we can take and this is maybe hopefully showing people that what we should be doing is something that we're already doing now to prevent the spread of covid and Mm -hmm. i think this is like the first of many realignments we will see in our lifetimes yeah i mean politically who knows what will happen um we just don't. I mean, if you can vote by Bernie by mail, I certainly will be if uh, I'm allowed to. Um, I want to yeah. vote for Bernie. They better not cancel this fucking New York primary. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'll write him in in the general. I'm I'm one of those. Yeah, me too. I'm just I'm so sick of it. And honestly, after the COVID stuff, the fact that people still whoever did show up to vote showed up for, you know, that, you know, they had that like, like bug, like death drive to like the bug zapper, you know, (laughs) to like, to, 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 you know, go towards the light and vote for Joe Biden. And it's like, God, I cannot have more contempt for all those people because it's like, I don't want them to get sick and die or anything, but like, man, you took a risk with your own life to make sure less people on mm-hmm. this less people in this country would have health care and we all know that even if zero people had showed up on tuesday to vote for joe biden they would have just declared him the winner anyway <laughs> like bernie's the one you need to show up for because you, he needs like the support so that he can overcome the democratic establishment whereas joe biden is is the democratic establishment and they would just hand it to him if they could i mean they're trying to do that as best as they can now anyway well, did you see those tweets of people in Illinois that, like, while they were watching The Price is Right, like, the day before the election, they uh, showed that the the election results, yes. that, like, Biden was, yes, like, 54, <laughs> Bernie was, like, 40-something, like, you know, <laughs> not suspicious it's all so at all. Ri- I, I, you know, <laughs> I'm not one to be, like, it's so rigged, but then you all you hear about is, like, the the... the the precincts with a lot of Bernie voters, the lines are four hours long for college students. And then also yeah. the COVID you send home all of Ohio state university. Well, how the fuck are they going to, I know they didn't have the Ohio primary, but it's like all mm. the college students 
didn't get to vote in their primaries, and most of them are voting for Bernie. So yeah. this is not a legitimate election at, at the, at at the end of the day. And there's also the, I mean, the UN, the difference between the exit polls in the Super Tuesday states and the, the final outcome would be if it happened in like any other country, we would have already, you know, done regime change over there. I mean, the wild swing in what was expected by, by the exit polls in states like Vermont and Massachusetts and what the actual, mm-hmm. you know, reported outcome is would be it, it was way larger than what happened in, in, you know, Bolivia that led them to, I guess, you know, advocate or led the uh with the uh, organization of american states to say that there had been fraud and kind of give soft support to the right-wing freaks who wound up driving evo morales out of the country and having all you know basically that has fallen down into complete right-wing chaos at this point and the fact that like mm-hmm. that happened here and you know I, a lot of people joke that we need un observers for u.s elections but definitely this the recent events in this primary have shown that we i don't know we always say this is the country the land of the free whatever yada yada but in a lot of ways we our votes don't matter here yeah i Honestly, like, I'm not joking when I say I feel like I would feel better if the U.N. observed our elections. Oh, 100%. You get to a point where you almost expect there to be dirty tricks. Yeah. But anyway, time to kick back and watch Hillary on Hulu. Right, folks? <laughs> God. Um, get some real relaxation. Just, and- yeah. As just the last, you know, PSA. Um, wash your hands. Don't go out. If you do have to go out and you're obviously going to touch something, I mean, go out and jog like if you need to for your mental health. That's fine as long as you stay away from other people. Um, and if you touch anything outside, then immediately do not touch your face. So important. Do not touch your face and wash your hands before you touch anything. Um but you can go outside, but just don't be in a crowded beach in Florida because that will get you killed <laughs> or someone you love killed. Uh, what am I going to do with a, a year where I don't get to spend late March having, uh, you know, an, an old woman rubs sunscreen on my back? <laughs> um, all right. This is Hog Planet. I want to say my very sincere gratitude and uh, salute goes to our guest and all uh, her co-workers and the people on the front lines fighting this epidemic uh, who do more every day than the uh, grotesque uh, reptilians who run this country. Uh, y- y- you know, I th- everybody should be bowing to our healthcare workers. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I want to echo that sentiment. I mean, it's it's a frequently thrown out line that, you know, X is braver than the troops, but healthcare workers right now definitely braver than the troops. And uh, definitely thank your local healthcare worker. Do do what our guests said in order to support your local any healthcare workers in your life. And those of us in the white collar field, all of us who are sitting at home all day, you know, typing stuff into a computer, definitely, t- even though it's 
you may think it's excruciating for us to stay inside all the time and have to do all this social distancing. I mean, there's a reason we're doing it and don't fuck all that up by going out to some bar or, I mean, honestly, at this point, it, that's becoming an impossibility. Yeah, I think they're all closed. Yeah, they're all closed <laughs> in any major city on the East Coast, which is a good thing. Good. But I, I don't know. Like, don't don't be one of those people who's, like, bragging about how you don't need to do social distancing and all this stuff. It's it's just kind of it's silly and sad. I'm directing this specifically at, at – I think the two – generations that really are not taking this seriously are zoomers and boomers like it's the people millennials i think are really on board with this but i don't know people need to take it seriously i i'm sure that most people listening to this have an elderly relative who they know might be at risk of developing complications from covid and not surviving them so do it for them even if you're not going to do it for yourself and for people you don't know but this is definitely the time to step up to the plate and you know they're not asking much of us like stay. You're not a, as someone who's not a healthcare worker. You're asked to stay inside and like watch TV. Like it's really the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. Like shut up and like eat chips and watch like fucking like Bojack Horseman. And like, sh- like, like well, this is fine. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. fine. Like there's not, there's not asking a lot of you. I know. I even the, even you guys, like I wish I could hang out and like do some gaming and I don't know, clean my apartment and just have all this free time. Like what to do with your quarantine time. It's like, I don't, (laughs) you know, So it just, yeah. Um, just let's keep each other safe. You know, like as Bernie says, uh, fight for someone you don't know. That's right. And on that note, once again, this is hog planet. Follow the show at hog planet on twitter follow me at spaventacular follow sam at wag stank and we will be back we have some uh, fun episode ideas coming at you we're gonna do some movie episodes so if you want to want us to watch a movie a good movie a bad movie you know at least make it a hog relevant movie and no not like babe pig in the city <laughs> but Maybe we should watch that for the podcast. I mean, we've got we'll all the time in the world at this point. We might as well. <laughs> if people really want us to watch Babe Pig in this, I, th- I can think of one or two better pig-themed movies or hog-themed movies that we're intending to watch. But, I mean, if, if, if the listeners really want us to watch Babe, we t- are you specifically saying Pig in the City or any other Babe? Babe 2. Babe 2. Pig in the City. Well, it has it, to be I was going to say, is it, isn't it the sequel? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. We're not. It's not even the original movie. So the original's not on the table. It's only if you want us to watch Big Big in the City, then you can write in whatever you want to let us know that you really want us to watch Babe Pig in the City. I want to say the first Babe was a, a like Best Picture nominee. Oh, I think I, I remember it being like a cultural a I, cultural I no phenomenon idea. as best as I can remember those those days in the nineties when I was probably like five years old or whatever. <laughs> All right, we're done here. This is Hog Planet. <laughs>